Hello, Prescott. You know that every successful life story starts with a caring teacher. You know the value of an education at a public school rooted in the community. But it's hard to stay connected to that community feeling during this time of distance learning and overwhelming demands. This podcast is for you. Each month will make it easier for you to feel connected, informed, and involved. Join us to hear from teachers, historians, parents, and community members about what makes Prescott schools more than just classrooms and campuses. Join us to find out how PUSD is overcoming the current challenges and laying the foundation for an even stronger, more hopeful future. I'm Charles Matthews, your host and producer. This month, my co-host is Marty Reed, the assistant superintendent for the Prescott Unified School District. Marty's connection to Prescott and PUSD go deep. She moved to Prescott in 1997, but her father was raised here and her grandmother taught at Prescott High School. Marty herself has taught at Abaya Judd Elementary School and Granite Mountain Middle School. She's been the assistant principal at Granite Mountain Middle School, curriculum coordinator for Prescott Unified School District, principal at Heritage Middle School, and now assistant superintendent of Prescott Unified School District. Marty clearly loves learning about the history and culture of the Prescott area. You'll hear the passion and excitement in her voice as she talks about how she started this historical research to mark Prescott Unified School District's 150th, well, 150th-ish anniversary. We're joined this week by Drew Desmond. Drew is a history advisor, contributing writer, and secretary of the board for the Prescott Western Heritage Foundation. Drew was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. He joined the family business of advertising as a writer, but his life got disrupted by a visit to Prescott in 1986. Drew decided immediately to retire here, but he was hard-pressed to find a reason to wait until retirement age and move to the area 25 years earlier than planned. Drew founded the hashtag Prescott Arizona History Blog and commenced spending over a thousand hours a year reading old newspapers, periodicals, and books to provide the research necessary for his weekly activities. Drew is no dusty, dry historian, but a passionate teller of colorful and relevant stories about our hometown. Prescott Unified School District is one of the oldest districts in the state. In fact, its founding predates Arizona statehood. On this episode, Marty and Drew lead us through the unique history of the school district and shine a light on all the ways PUSD and Prescott have intertwined and supported each other. We think this episode will help you feel even more proud to be a Prescottonian and more connected to the people and places that form our common heritage. All right, let's get unified. Welcome, everybody, to the Prescott Unified School District podcast. This is episode two. I'm Charles Matthews, your host, and I'm here today with Marty Reed, the assistant superintendent and amateur historian for the school district. And we're joined by our very special guest, Drew Desmond, who is a historian with a uh, something happened to him that made him come to Prescott. We're going to find out about that in a second, but we're going to be telling stories all episode long. These are stories that we can be proud of, stories that we can be interested in, stories that, in my opinion, ground us in our community and help us feel more at home. And that's that's what this is all about. That's what POSD is all about. But uh, thank you, Marty. Thank you, Drew, for joining me. Well, thank you Glad for having be- us. Great. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, Drew, you run a, a history blog. You've done thousands of hours of, of research in Arizona history. But before we talk about that history, I'm curious about 
what made you come to Prescott? You're not from here. You're like so many other people. You're from the Midwest. Yes, that's true. You found Prescott or Prescott found you? What happened there? Well, I I was working in uh, in Nashville, a small music company, and uh, I was executive director there. And we had a trade show in Phoenix. And usually with our trade shows, I would have my vacation right after the trade show because then the owner would pay for my airfare back as, you know, just delay it. So I kind of had free airfare. And I came up to Prescott and fell in love with it for the usual reasons, you know, the forest, the history, the people. And and I thought, well, I'm going to retire there. But I just did not have a good reason to wait. You know, I mean, not everybody makes it to retirement. So I thought, well, you know, Drew, if you want to live there, go live there. So I moved here and uh, started studying the history. And uh, I have a blog. It's uh, hashtag Prescott AZ history, no spaces. If you Google that, you'll find it. Or you can do prescottazhistory.blogspot.com. And there's over 230 articles about uh, the western portion of Yavapai County, sort of what they call the Quad Cities, if you will. And it's had over a half million readers and 230 articles. And I write one uh, most every Sunday, about four times a month. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, this is a little off the cuff and has little to do with school, but they just published my very first book. It's called uh, Murder and Mayhem in Prescott with my co-author, Brad Courtney. This is about the history of the faculty. No, I'm just kidding. It it has nothing to do with schools at all. But uh, if you're interested in, in history, that's available too. So thank you for that. Well, congratulations on having such a, a big readership and congratulations on the new book. And I think it just puts, puts, uh, puts pay the idea that, that people are bored by history or that it's dry or irrelevant. The fact that you have so many readers and, and also the fact that your book is titled Murder and Mayhem. That's not dry. No, it's sort not. Of, it's not sort at of all. wet yeah. and sticky, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my writing background is in advertising and I use some of those tools to try to keep it fresh and exciting and cliffhangery. And the last thing I I like is dry history. I, I I write to avoid that whenever possible. Make it entertaining because it is. Great. And it's, you know, stories are what keep humans together. I think we've been sitting around the fire for thousands of years telling stories to one another and, and passing on history and passing on values. So even though we don't get to be around a fire, we're, we're gathered around the Zoom call right now. Maybe we can, maybe we can relive those, those smoke-filled days. And Marty, you were talking about the mistake that you made. We'll just throw you under the bus right here. The mistake <laughs> that you made about the 150th anniversary of Prescott Unified School District and how it's, how it's sort of led to what we're doing right now. We knew that we were approaching our 150th year of being Prescott schools. And uh, I had found a few documents that said that we were established in 1871. So we had been planning to kind of celebrate this 150 years in 2021. And something in the back of my head said, you know, you better verify that date. And when I went to kind of 
do some research, I realized that Prescott Unified didn't have a good archive of, of our history and of those important dates. And my friend Sarah from work, we, we spent a morning at the Yavapai County Board of Supervisors uh, Historical Documents Office and pulled out the original minutes that were hand scripted by the secretary of the board and found that the school district was actually established in 1868. So we had missed our 150th year by three years, <laughs> but that didn't stop us. Uh, we decided that we would go ahead and celebrate that 150 years. And it, it created a, a project in which we hired a, an AmeriCorps service member to spend the summer digging into Prescott Unified history. And we now are starting to gather a more complete uh, documentation of our history so that we won't make that mistake again. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So Marty, what did it feel like to see that document? To see you know, the founding document? It was really exciting. And, and it's so funny because it was just one simple sentence, something like, you know, the Prescott, Prescott School District is established and taxes will be levied to provide education to our, you know, our children. It was a very simple sentence, but it excited us so much because it was, you know, it was our birth. You know, really, those taxes that were levied then didn't come to fruition for a few years. And that free public education uh, didn't happen until about... 1871, which is maybe where that 1871 right. date came from. There was private schooling going on and teachers that would provide schooling out of their house. And there was, uh, you know, the religious schools in the area. But the free public education really probably didn't happen until around 1871. So we're kind of, we're kind of okay with that date, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's not a simple birth date. It's, a, it's an extended birthing, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. And we're going to later in the podcast, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper into the, the foundation and, and the reasons and the why for is behind the founding of Prescott Unified School District. But I just want to be clear with the audience, you know, what we're attempting to do today is show how interconnected the city of Prescott, the town of Prescott, this whole area, how interconnected it is with the history of Prescott Unified School District. Um, Drew's going to tell us about a bunch of firsts that were uh, that we can be really proud of with with Prescott Unified School District. We're going to talk about, as I said, the founding and the foundation. We'll talk about the early days and some of the uh, the early interconnections that Prescott and PUSD had. We'll talk about how the schools got through and actually assisted during wartime. And uh, we'll we'll drop a lot of names that you might start finding familiar. Oh, that's why that's called that. Oh. That's why that's named that. I didn't realize that was a person. Uh, and then we'll draw it all up to, to what's happening, what's been happening uh, today and, and uh, as we forge through coronavirus and, and uh, economic changes and show how those, those interconnections continue. But before we even get into that, Drew, I, wanna, I want you to tell the story of President Taft and how the, uh, the schools were instrumental to, to uh, Arizona statehood. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in 1909, uh, President Taft came out to the Southwest. It was at that time the longest trip a sitting president had ever made. 
and he came to Arizona, and one of the cities he stopped in was Prescott. And boy, was everybody excited about the president coming. That was before radio. Most people didn't know even what the president sounded like. So they just decorated the plaza area and the courthouse, all red, white, and blue. There was a large banner facing Taft who spoke from the sidewalks of uh, Gurley Street toward the plaza. And uh, the banner said, we want statehood. And what was beautiful and what uh, Prescott did was they decided to put all the school children at the front of the crowd to hear Taft. And it was separated by class. In the front were the little whooper kindergartners and then the first graders and second all the way up to senior high so it was like the stair step of boys and girls this whole sea of them and it was beautiful because you know they were the one they were the future they were the ones who were going to tell their kids and their grandkids about when the president came to Prescott and when Tap came out and saw this sea of children out front of Before then, the Secret Service had a little roped-off area, a little buffer zone between the crowd and the the platform. And Taft comes out and sees all these children. He goes, take those ropes down. I want to be close to these people. And 28 months later, Arizona became a state because that really helped shed the reputation of being full of a bunch of, you know, scallywags and so forth to a reputation of, hardworking people trying to raise their kids. And it really had a marketed effect on the whole situation of statehood. That's a great story. That's a great story. Well, we're going to leave it right there. We're going to leave you for a, for a moment. We're going to take a break. We're going to leave you all there on the courthouse square with all of these kids and the band playing and the banners in front of Taft and uh, Arizona, not yet a state but we're going to be right back with more stories like this from Drew, Desmond, and Marty Reed. Thanks for listening to the Prescott Unified Podcast, where we are unified. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode as we celebrate our proud history and bright future and over 150 years serving families and the Prescott community. With this podcast, we want to pull back the curtain for you so you can experience what it's like to be part of a big, caring, dedicated community. We want you to join us in cheering for our hometown Badgers, to remember what it feels like to be inspired by a teacher who takes the time to care about you and to feel the support of a community that values education. Be sure to visit PrescottSchools.com for up-to-the-minute details on openings, closings, and events. Right on the homepage, there are links to parent and family support resources, as well as tips and tricks for successful distance education. Now back to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Prescott Unified podcast. Again, we're here with Tree Desmond, local historian, and Marty Reed, assistant superintendent of schools and uh, dusty document investigator. <laughs> I'm imagining we're going to make a movie of Marty Reed. It'll be a little bit like National Treasure, a little bit like Indiana Jones. I feel a little bit that way as I dig in and find out more nuggets of information. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's hard to figure out where to stop. You know, I, I, the more I dig in, the more I think, well, I could look there and I could look there. And um, eventually that's why we had to hire someone. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you have other responsibilities is my understanding. Yeah, right? actually I do. <laughs> yeah, great. great. So we talked about Taft coming in, in 1909, but the school had started almost 40 years before then. So what's the story of the, of the founding? And my understanding is it's the oldest school district in Arizona. Well, for many years, we thought that, and, and that's up for discussion. There, we may be the third. We're either the first, second, or the third in Arizona. Um, in the top three, okay. We're in the top three, for sure. <laughs> and so what's the, what's the story of that founding? What, what, I mean, this was 1868? 1868 is when the uh, Prescott School District was established, and it really had to do with growth in the area and families moving into the area. And of course, Prescott was the territorial territorial capital, um, 1864 to 1867. So it was a place of importance. There were educated people here, and uh, it, it soon became apparent that we needed a school system. And the County Board of Supervisors established the school system and eventually started collecting some taxes. There was a, a log cabin, the history of this log cabin schoolhouse, one room schoolhouse by Granite Creek um, is a little shaded. Some, some believe that it was the first school. I've found some documents that indicate maybe the first public school was in another area that was rented for a short time. But nevertheless, it was, you know, in those days, it was some of that classic one-room schoolhouse, one teacher, K through, you know, first grade through eighth grade. Uh, but the really interesting piece for me was, you know, talking about first, you know, Drew mentioned Prescott Unified has many firsts. We, we did build the first multi-room school, and that was called the Prescott Free Academy. And that was called a graded school, meaning that, that the kids were divided by grades into these different rooms. And so instead of first through eighth grade in one room, they were separated by their, their grades in these four rooms. And the Prescott Free Academy... kind of an educational uh, advancement or invention, the idea of a graded school. It was a very progressive idea. Correct. It was the model they used back east, uh, quote-unquote, and, and they brought it out west and built this beautiful free academy, which was also the territorial um, offices when the territory, the capital came back to Prescott. It was a you know wonderful building. We had a gentleman named Moses Sherman, who was the first principal, eventually became the superintendent of education for the state. It was, it was a first and it was a model, like you said, a model system that was brought to Prescott. Great. Drew, do you have any more stories to embellish around uh, the, the founding of uh, PUSD? Oh, yes. Um, uh, Marty was absolutely right. One of the uh, organizations that had a lot to do with improving uh, PUSD was called the Monday Club, which is... Uh, the oldest women's club still in existence in Arizona. And these were women, many of them college educated, which in the 1800 was just unheard of. And they came with their husbands who were appointed to this new capital, who were politicians, and they dragged their wives along. And these women really wanted a little piece of back east and 
a civilized city. And the Monday Club worked hard for that. And uh, one of the things they did was bring in the first Carnegie Library, just uh, east of the Elks Theater there, which is related to school. But they also uh, pressed hard to improve PUSD through many of these firsts that we've been uh, sort of talking about and alluding to. The Monday Club pressed for PUSD to start kindergarten classes, and they got them, and Prescott Unified Schools has the first and oldest running kindergarten, public kindergarten classes in the, all of Arizona. The Monday Club also wanted to um, uh, have Sunday school classes for scheduling, and they got that. And PUSD was the first school district to have Sunday school class, or pardon me, summer school classes. Uh, and then finally, uh, they also pressed for a manual arts department. Prescott was needing a lot of carpenters and so forth back then. And this idea of training students to know some of the basics before they even went to apprenticeship, that was beyond aggressive. That was considered just experimental, you know. And th these women in the, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, they were really pressing for those things that today are, are considered standard fare, you know, kindergarten, summer school, shop class. These are all standard fare, but back in the day when Prescott schools were getting started, this was all very progressive and, and really provided for a lot of firsts in Arizona for PUSD. Things that uh, the district ought to be proud of, maybe put it on their letterhead or something, but I'm biased, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, they, they so had it. Do you, from, do you know anything about the motivation of those of those progressive women? Were they, was it out of concern for the kids? Was it out of concern for the community? Did they just want the kids out of the house during the summer and, and, and when they were five? You know, what, what made them make those big moves? They wanted to have an excellent school district to send their kids to. They wanted to have a top-notch school district in Arizona to send their kids to. And they pushed for it, and they raised money for it. One year, the it was eighteen ninety eight. They found out the classroom walls were bare of pictures, so they bought, you know, pictures of Washington and Lincoln and classic artwork to, you know, adorn the walls. And uh, they also, when that uh, manual arts department uh, needed a couple of new laves and there wasn't money in the budget, the Monday Club went and paid for the new laves. So they really took uh, PUSD under their arm and carried it a long way, absolutely. What I love about that story is that it, it parallels um, the community support that we continue to have. Uh, Prescott Schools and the community have really continued to promote these additional programs and I'm thinking specifically right now we our summer school program is supported by the Prescott Frontier Rotary now it's back in the 80s the Courier and Prescott Frontier Rotary donated some money to have a third grade reading summer program at Miller Valley and over 30 years Prescott Frontier Rotary has continued to support that program, it has grown to be a district-wide K-4 summer school program that serves about 200 students every summer. 
And that's just an example of the partnerships that we have with our community um, because they believe in education. They believe in, in uh, our students being academically successful. That's great. And just skipping ahead just a little bit, you, there's a story about what I know to be Pea Mountain, but apparently that's not really the name of it. But that there's, the school is connected to why I know it is Pea Mountain, right? I mean, I know the, that the school, PHS seniors started uh, painting that P in 1922. Every year they would troop, you know, go hike up the mountain and bring their white paint and paint that P. Other than that, I don't know a whole much, a whole, whole lot about it. Yeah, I'm not sure what its name was previous, but, you know, you go all around Yavapai County. There's a big old J at Jerome and a big old C at Cottonwood. It was like, if you know, you're riding your horse or some, oh, exit ahead. There's a big right. C or a big P or whatever. You knew which direction to go to get to the city you wanted. I'm going to say it's our junior ROTC now that, that hikes up there every year and paints it and keeps it in good shape. So we're, we're still dedicated to keeping that P up there. <laughs> and that's what I mean yeah, in the introduction about my feelings about history and my feelings about community knowledge. Now I have, I can see the P from my back porch and now I have a richer story about where that comes from. And now I can imagine, you know, a hundred years of, of Prescott seniors and, and ROTC participants who've, who've, created that, who've, who've helped create the community identity and makes me feel even prouder to, to see that pee off my back deck. I don't pee off my back deck. I see <laughs> the pee on the mountain the from pee. my yeah. back deck. Pee mountain, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And, and speaking of ROTC and, and the involvement with the military and, and all of that, there's some stories about what the school's role was during World War One and World War Two that there were military classes uh, taking place in the schools? That is my understanding is that our AmeriCorps VISTA person did find out that once, the, um, particularly I think World War Two broke out, that we did start to provide some basic training in military and aviation courses in response to obviously what was affecting our whole community. Also, the Hendricks Auditorium was used, that's at what is now Mile High Middle School, but at the time it was the high school. And that auditorium was used to watch those World War II newsreels. So the community would come to the auditorium every, you know, so often and, and those newsreels would play for the community. And that was how they got news about what was happening in the Pacific Theater or the, the European Theater or wherever. Yeah, exactly. Great. And another note that I saw, just it just said Rough Riders on my notes. I believe that that was uh, hearkening back, you know, the uh, concept of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders originated in Prescott with Bucky O'Neill and Alexander Brody and uh, a couple others. And I think that uh, that was sort of a, kind of a mascotty sort of situation to call some of these young um, potential soldiers up. And, and also during that time, during the depression years and so forth, a lot of these things were interrelated with like the civilian conservation corps and, and that sort of thing. So uh, there was 
a lot of that alphabet soup under the Roosevelt administration that uh, particularly uh, the teenagers got involved in. Uh, it was a boon for some of the families because uh, these teenagers would go and they would work. They would get paid for the work. I think, oh, I forget exactly how much, but they, the actual workers were only left with a, an allowance of like $5 and the rest of the money went to their family. So it was a real boon to them because not only did they not have to feed this hungry as a horse teenager, but they, they were getting money from them to help pay their bills. So uh, that kind of sort of evolved into um, some of the military aspects because that CCC, they had Reveille and TAPS and, you know, they didn't have the guns or the target shooting, but it did have some of the discipline and that really kind of helped America going into war. So do we know about any CCC or WPA projects that were, that were built in Prescott at that time? Yes, the, oh. um, the high school built in the late 30s, where Mile High is now, down on Granite Street, that was a WPA project. I have a big smile on my face right now because I was just in Hendricks Auditorium today. I love that that auditorium still has that late 30s, 1940s feel. The, the light fixtures and the way it's laid out. When you, when you go in that auditorium, it's a, it's a step back in time. I have an, another story about uh, Prescott Unified that happened in the late 30s. And that was the third elementary school that um, the district built was called Jefferson School. And, and many people don't know about Jefferson School. It was built in 1923, right after World War I and was closed in 1938 during the Depression. But at the time, we didn't have a, a sizable building for a community hospital. And so it was decided after it was closed in 38, a couple years later, it was decided that it would be um, made into a community hospital. And the school district leased the building for $1 per year as a community hospital, which sounds very generous on the surface. It is very generous, of course. The community needed a hospital. They asked if they could use that building. But there was a subsequent lawsuit because that was considered a, a gift of public funds. Of course, the building was built with taxes and, and uh, public schools belonged to the taxpayers. And so the district had to scramble quickly and then they, they ended up selling it to the hospital uh, the next year for a thousand dollars. So that was kind of a fun, a fun history that I, I learned about. My my aunt, my dad's sister, was born in that building on Marina. It's located on Marina. I can talk all I want about feeling grounded in Prescott, but I'm never gonna I'm never gonna beat Marty Reed for for roots in this community. That's great. And so, what are some other what are some other buildings and 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 fields and and facilities that that have names that we should understand where they came from, that would help us feel more knowledgeable I, and rooted? I would like to talk about that because this was a, a bit of an aha for me when I I started digging into this history. So, of course, the Prescott Free Academy we talked about was was the first multi room schoolhouse. And then after that, the schools that Prescott built were named after presidents. So, of course, Washington School in 1903, Lincoln School in 1909, 
and then Jefferson School in 1923. And when I learned about that, I was like, wait a minute, Miller Valley School was built in 1916, and somehow we have skipped over Miller Valley. And so what, what I found out, which was very interesting, is that there was another district called Miller Valley School District. And it was in 1930 that, that Miller Valley School petitioned to become part of Prescott Unified. And so that's why there's kind of this, you know, presidential naming, and then all of a sudden Miller Valley pops in in the middle of that. It's because it was built by a different district. And then after that, we started so just, naming... So just to pause for a second, just to, just to okay. say to the listeners, you know, like the next time you were at the light there in front of the hospital, waiting yeah. for the light to change, just remember that that was the outskirts. That was a, basically a different community back in 19... Right. We're, we're talking 1916, 19... It was built in 1916. Well, yeah. in fact, Lincoln, when it was built in 1909, that was called West Prescott. So they built that elementary school way out in West Prescott, which you can walk to from downtown. Right, right. <laughs> just, you know, go past the Liberty Bell and just keep going up a little bit and, and you'll get there yeah. eventually. That's great. Um, so this, there was this presidential naming that was very interesting. And then uh, the district kind of switched to naming for important people in our district. And... So that would be um, the next school was Dexter, which was named after an important person in our, in our district called Mata De Dexter. She was a first grade teacher and a principal at Washington for many years. And um, so then when they built that next school, they named it after her, which is a, um, was very interesting. I just I never knew. I assumed it was on Dexter Street when I first moved here. <laughs> <laughs> right, and 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 to be named for a woman, I think that's a that had to be a little progressive. In those, no, it wasn't no. just it wasn't just another dead white man. It was it was a, a living woman that they named that school after. <laughs> yeah, they did, and that was that was in um, 1949. And then, if if people know their Prescott history, the next school was of course uh, Taylor Hicks, and Taylor Hicks was a very well known person in Prescott. He. I think he was mayor. Drew, do you know, was he mayor of Prescott? I believe he was, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. And he, he served at least 20 years on the school board. And uh, the Hicks family, of course, is still very predominant in Prescott. And uh, Dr. Scott Hicks is on our school board now. Um, so that's where the Taylor Hicks School came from. And that was in the late 60s. And it's that kind of when that model of schooling where you, you built this round school, I don't know if anyone went to one of these schools, I did, and, and the walls would open up. So you could, you could open up the walls between classrooms because back then, you know, we, we wanted to mix the kids around and, you know, have, have, you know, one or two teachers with 70 kids. You know, this was kind of the latest and greatest model of education. And so they have those collapsible walls. So it went from the, the one-room schoolhouse idea to the graded schools, of which we were one of the first in Arizona, if not the first, to tearing down the walls and having all of the grades mingling together again. That's exactly right. Yeah. I know teachers always complain like, oh, God, not another innovation. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like it. It's yeah, not true. Yeah. We like it. <laughs> I know. I know. Great. And then I mean, uh, 
Another school that we've named after an important person in our school district, of course, is Abiah Judd Elementary. And Abiah Judd was a, a, prince, a longtime principal and superintendent in our district. And that, that was built in the late 80s. And is that, is that the most recent school to be built, Abiah Judd? That is the most recent school to be built, which is kind of astounding when you, when you go down to the valley, you know, you know, we have schools that are over 100 years old, um, and most of their schools are, you know, less than 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of funny. Well, we're making, we're making do. We're making do with uh, <laughs> our, our good old WPA and, and other buildings, making sure that these kids have a place to go and interact with their teachers and learn what we hope they will learn. So jumping forward a little bit, we, we just finished Obiajet in the 80s, so to jump forward, you know, 40 years, I think in particular, this is a question for Marty, but what are the connections that you're still seeing between the community and the, the school? How, how are they interconnected today? I think especially this is really important to talk about just in an age of school choice where parents have a lot more choices, kids have a lot more choices. There are more schools here uh, you know, than there were 40 years ago. But what, what connections remain between the community and, and PUSD? Well, we are fortunate that almost every service organization, uh, as well as church in the in the area, supports us in one way or other. They kind of have their um, projects that they're passionate about that they're able to implement in our schools. One thing that happened when the 2013 bond and override failed, we had a group of community members on both sides of the aisle, business owners. Uh, Badgers alum who really felt passionate that good schools create good communities. And, and PUSD really has been the heart of our community for over 150 years. And so from that failed override and bond election, uh, we, we had a foundation that, that formed from these community members and they have really supported us uh, to help provide those things that we don't get from the state. You know, unfortunately, we know funding in Arizona is, is not the best, and our foundation has really stepped up to provide innovation grants and um, financial opportunity for our teachers. They've purchased technology for us, and uh, we are just very so grateful. That kind of goes that all, we... the, all the way back to the idea of the Monday Club buying Lays. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce yeah, that. That's right. Spitting all over my mic, <laughs> buying shop <laughs> equipment for the for the uh, manual. manual arts. Manual yes, arts. manual arts. Yeah, uh -huh. That's great. So it's still happening today. The community it is rallying around and providing. Yeah. You know, our foundation just helped us purchase hotspots that we could deliver to families who don't have internet connections, so they could continue through distance learning, and. Uh, you know, that's, that's not something that we we're funded by the state for, but our foundation said, hey, this is important, and they purchased these hotspots for us, which we then sent out into to the community. So I can name, you know, partnership after partnership from a small partnership where maybe a person is just helping one family in need to, you know, major donations for technology, summer school, um, our uh, media arts program it's it's an amazing it really is an amazing thing to be here in Prescott and to feel so supported by our community great and my understanding is there's massive numbers of volunteers from the community actually in the schools working directly with the kids 
Yes. That's a really good point that we, we have over 800 volunteers, mostly retired folks, who say, what can I do to help you? And they come into our schools and do anything from, you know, reading to the kindergartners to helping high school students with math or science. We have folks that are technology savvy and help us with technology. Some don't, some are a little scared to be around the kids. So we have opportunities in the office that they can help us with. And that just continues to grow and grow. And, and like I said, we have over 800 uh, people in the community. Well, it's kind of on hold because of uh, COVID right now, but <laughs> usually we have 800 people in our schools helping us in any way you can think of. Absolutely, and I was one of those. I was one of those people before I got paid to work for Boys to Men. I was a volunteer with the Boys to Men mentoring organization, and we got to come into the again Mile High Middle School, Prescott Mile High Middle School, and hang around with young men and talk about what was interesting, what was important, what was hard about growing up, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. Yeah, I encourage anybody to to rethink if you're afraid of kids maybe rethink that a little bit find a find a way to get involved you don't have to do it alone they won't just plop you in a classroom full of hungry children they'll they'll make sure you're all right but um, i want to also kind of get drew back involved thinking about how the schools have been in, engaged with Prescott from the from the other direction. You've been talking about how wonderfully supportive the Prescott community has been over the years, and and currently in supporting the schools. But Drew, you were t while we were on the break, you were telling the story about how one of the ways that Prescott became the Christmas city, and that it involves kids in the schools. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, back in those days, uh, holidays uh, celebrations were focused primarily on Christmas. And uh, there were a number of uh, Christmas trees uh, in the schools and also a big, a big special thing every year was musical programs from these different age grades and so forth. And those were always looked forward to and, and so forth. But it all kind of came to a head in 1916. That was the first Christmas tree, municipal tree, they called it that even back then, uh, in the plaza and all of the um, uh, charity giving from the different organizations, it was all surrounded around that Christmas tree. And the kids came and they put on a program and they sang and it took the Boy Scouts until midnight to distribute all the charity that was under that Christmas tree for the for the families that weren't doing quite as well and so forth. So it was a tremendous uh, event and it really started the ball rolling for Prescott to continue that tradition and become Arizona's Christmas city that year. But uh, children and Christmas, let's face it, it's always, it's always a good go together thing. And, and uh, people are always looking forward to those Christmas pageants. I'm thinking about the Christmas pageants. I'm thinking about Acker Night and hearing the hearing the various musical groups from PHS singing, you know, on the balconies and in the banks and wherever else. And I'm I'm thinking about the the uh, the holiday parade and the and the rodeo parade featuring the the Prescott High School marching band, the pride of Prescott. And they do yeah, they absolutely. do pretty well. They they in, uh -huh. in past that marching band has has competed quite well at the national or the uh, the state level, I should say. They have, yes. and uh, we we have 
been very careful to preserve our music programs. Um, as funding, you know, has dropped over the years, our community has told us that music is important to them, and we we work very hard to preserve those programs. and And they are award winning. Our choirs, our band, we we uh, we do very well. That's great. And yeah, music is a music is a very important part of what ties a community together. We all, I don't know, I will speak for all of us. We all look forward to Akronite. We all look forward to, to seeing young people for performing and singing their lungs out wherever, wherever we can, wherever we can see them. And, you know, we're recording this on the 29th of September and in a couple of days is just really the official start of, of the holiday season. So I'm glad we're glad we're talking about this right now. It helps me prepare for the, for the holiday season. I have no idea what it's going to be like with, uh, with COVID happening but i know next year for sure we'll get to be listening to the young people singing and and playing music in the heart of our town the literal Indeed. and metaphorical heart mm -hmm. any other stories you want to share before we wrap up for today well i think i you know i think i've covered kind of the main things that i'm familiar with anyway yeah um, it's inter it's interesting to look at those old yearbooks from prescott high school you know from 1914 and uh sports it's been around since the beginning football basketball we uh you know we love our sports who doesn't love sports <laughs> so what's happening with the with the teams this fall marty do we have an opportunity to to cheer on the badgers at all or is everything well on hold right now we're we're a little bit on hold the we are having competitions. There's lots of health and safety protocols in place, but the team players can only bring uh, two guests, and usually that's family members. So it's not open to the public yet. If if our community metrics continue to fall, we'll we'll open it up as we can. Um, but so far, it's going really well, and and we do have sports happening. A little bit different, but but it's happening. So there are football games happening and, and volleyball and... Swimming, golf, football, volleyball, badminton. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all happening. It's just in a modified way. That's really good to hear. We we know I was a I was a high school athlete. You wouldn't know it from looking at me, but um, I was a high school athlete, and we know how important the values and and principles and virtues that get learned, taught, and modeled and modeled. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> on those playing fields and in the pool and and on the sidelines. So I'm really glad to hear that uh, that sports is continuing. And that's one of the things that's not present in all of these new school choice schools. You know, the the public schools are you know have all of the elements. And it's I know it's really challenging to to maintain sports teams, to maintain choir, to keep a marching band afloat, to uh, to continue to have the manual arts or the or the technology classes. But we really depend on public schools to have that broad spectrum, that broad approach to education so that everybody can find something that they are, every student can find something that they're excited about, that they're good at, and that can maybe make a, a career for them. That's exactly right. It's it's developing the whole child. You know, some some students, math isn't their favorite subject, but boy, they'll come and play an instrument or be an ROTC or we don't call it manual uh, arts anymore. Arts anymore. We call it career and technical education because those jobs are very technical. Those kiddos can leave with a certificate in a field and have a very high paying job. And for many students, 
that really motivates them to learn because they really see an end game. They, they see the relevance. They understand why they're learning this. And, uh, of course, you know, we like kiddos to go to college, but we're just as happy if they find a career pathway that works for them or a fine arts pathway or a sports pathway. We, we like to try to provide many opportunities for all our students. That's great. And I think this is a perfect segue into the, the quote from the city marshal, George Brown, that he said at the dedication to the very first school in the district, the Prescott Free Academy. Every move made by the school district is made out of love for the children and for the community. Our motto is every child every day, and we mean it. That's great. So for 150 plus years, <laughs> the, the, the theme has remained the same. And I think that ability to, to change with the times, to adapt, to grow tremendously while remaining really true to those principles of being there for every kid um, in the community and being rooted in the community. I think it's that's remarkable. Not all institutions are able to pull that off. So congratulations to you all. Drew, thank you so much for sharing your your passion for early Arizona history. It's it, Like I said, it, it makes me rethink my walk downtown, my view of P Mountain. It's, uh, it's an exciting thing to be more knowledgeable about this community and the institutions in it. Thank you so much for being here, Drew. Well, thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure. Maybe we can do it again sometime. There's a, there are many years to talk about, aren't there? Yes, that's true. <laughs> and Marty, thank you again for all your uh, sleuthing work. That's really exciting. Remember well, thank you, you. Thank you for having me. And now you have to go back to being assistant superintendent. <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening to the Prescott Unified podcast where we are unified. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Prescott Unified Podcast. As a reminder, this podcast is for you, whether you are interested in the impact and history PUSD has had on our small western town, or for learning helpful strategies to navigate the social and emotional needs in these new times. After just an hour a month of this podcast, we hope you feel more connected to the people, lessons, and history that make Prescott Unified School District such a special place. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Your phone likely already has a podcast app built right in, or you can follow the podcast on Spotify. And if you find this podcast helpful or valuable to you, let us know on social media at the Prescott Unified School District page. We provide this podcast free with no ads, so it would mean a lot for us to get your feedback and comments. You might even want to suggest a topic or a guest. This podcast is for you. This is Charles Matthews for Prescott Unified School District, where we are unified.